to welcome everyone here for the service this morning. Should we open with 236? <laughs> This morning, shall we open our service in a word of prayer? Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for another day. We thank you for that medium we have. We just sang about this this time we can spend in prayer and talk to a living God, talk to a God who cares, talk to a God who hears. He hears us believers. We thank you for these things. We thank you for this beautiful autumn day. And we thank you for the bounty of the land we can see and the crops coming off and animals in the fields and all these things that make this natural life complete. We thank you for freedom. Freedom get freedom to gather here this morning. Freedom to move and live and have, as Paul states, that in Jesus we can live and move and have our being. These are blessings not all the world has. We ask you to guide each one of us. And as our brother speaks this morning, that this word could be open to us, that we could pay heed to the instructions and the direction it gives us gives us power over sin gives us power to believe 
power to be free, power to even to look forward to that. The song, the song we sang just states that we can leave this life behind and look forward to heaven's beauty and heaven's shore. Give us understanding. Give us, give us depth of understanding. Give us knowledge of, of what this word is to us and what it means to us. The joy of salvation, the joy of sins forgiven. Bring these things to us in a real and a living way. Watch over our governments. Watch over our local governments, federal governments, world governments, our schools, our homes. Give us that understanding that we can live and guide as this word would have us to do. And hear us now as we pray together that prayer thy son Jesus taught us. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Shall we continue with 
said in his prayers, I will repeat and ask for your prayers. The Spirit could open this word. That the undying portion that is within each of us could receive that food, sustains us, and that we would be given faith to continue to walk. That song, it says, gladly I will toil and suffer as long as Jesus is walking with us. And by faith, I can understand that, and it is true. If if Christ is the leading and guiding, and that Spirit is what is directing us, that is where we want to be. And yet we find, I'm sure all of us very often, that where we are and where God wants us to be isn't necessarily where this natural flesh would like to be. And we can, I would hope, understand that we can turn to the Word, we can turn to prayer, that we could be given strength to even overcome this flesh. As it says, it never repents and it must be crucified daily. And yet it is what we walk with in this world, it is what we live with, it is, uh, I say, a union or a connection, how we are these multi-parted beings of this natural flesh that is there, and we have that undying portion that is in us, and how that all works, I don't quite understand. And yet by faith we know it to be so. And as much as this natural flesh focuses on things of this life and things of the immediate, we understand that that is very temporal, but that is all it has. When we die in this life naturally, it will return to the dust, and that is all that is there. But as it speaks in Ecclesiastes, that there is a difference. Yes, well it says, and I'm paraphrasing obviously, that man and beast, they're the same. They both die, and this body returns to the earth. But then it says that there is a difference, that the spirit of man goes upward to God who gave it and the spirit of the beast that returns to the earth. They live and are for this life only. We are very unique in this world beings in the fact that not only did God give us natural life but he gave us spiritual life and he breathed into man and he became a living soul. And there is a vast difference there. If we only lived in this life, the focus, I'm sure, of people would be quite different, even Christians. There would be no such thing. But that is not how it is. And because of that undying portion that is within each of us, if we, as this morning, come to sit and look into this Word of God and hear someone expound upon it, if God has been even so gracious to us in that manner that He has put on our hearts that there is something of value and there is something of importance beyond this life, it is something to be very thankful for. It is... I feel like I'm just going through things that I don't understand here when these thoughts are coming to my mind here. <clears throat> but we have so much 
that we have to look at by faith. To our natural minds, it, it doesn't make much sense. And yet that is how it is. How it is that God, it says that he has to draw. And he desires that no one would be would be lost. And yet, he allows that we would have that freedom to reject him. And he lays out in his word quite clearly the folly of that and the dangers of turning our back on God and the dangers of not turning to Christ for our salvation. And yet, as Christians, we can see that the devil is extremely busy to make that look so it, it isn't even real. Puts out that thought and, and people spread that thought that this life is all there is. Put out the thought that, well, if he's a loving God, he wouldn't destroy people. But there is not that thought coming from those sources that this word of God is true and right and sufficient. And we would be encouraged to look into it and see what it says about those matters. And that we would let it lead us and guide us. And that we would humbly submit ourselves to the leading of that still small voice, which is that spirit of God which Christ promised that he would stand to dwell in the hearts of his believers even before he went to the cross. And we have that privilege of Christians of knowing and understanding and being partakers of the fulfillment of that promise. And knowing that that Spirit and God through that Spirit dwells with us. And because he dwells with us, he looks at us not as the sinful, natural beings that we are, but he sees us as his children. And he sees us as perfect in Christ. And yes, we are failing. And yes, we fall into sin. As frustrating as it is to me when we become Christians or are Christians, we aren't all of a sudden perfect beings that walks through this life in perfection. <clears throat> we still have the troubles and trials that everyone else has. <clears throat> we still have the natural infirmities. We still have those natural inclinations towards, or I, maybe I should say, away from what God would want. But we have a blessing that I don't think we understand even the fullness of it here that that spirit does dwell and it does lead and it does guide and it does prick our consciences. And may we have attentive ears to hear it and be quick to listen and be obedient. <clears throat> we talked the other night in Bible study and some will just, <clears throat> this will be just repetition, but it is so true we can go through this Old Testament and read about those in several number of places, but the one that pops to mind is where they're coming out of Egypt and traveling in that period to the Promised Land. They listen to God. They turned away from God. God blesses them. They turn away from Him. They receive problems, and He takes those blessings away. They turn back to him, and he is gracious and blesses them. And it happens again and again. I'm sure that all of us can look at our lives and see we are just the same human beings that they were. We want to do our own thing. We want to follow our own reason. And God, in his wisdom, allows us I say to just fall on our face. And then he will gently pick us up if we turn to him. And we are encouraged in the Bible over and over again 
to repent and turn to him. Draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh unto you. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We are told these things again and again. And it is because God knows what we are, and in spite of that, he loves us. And he cares for us, and he is merciful and gracious. It says, I believe it's Jesus speaking in the Sermon on the Mount, that he is giving instructions to to people on how we should treat others. And how it doesn't matter if someone is a friend or an enemy, we should be praying for them and doing good for them. And that we're to be like God. And he says, look at how it works. God lets the sun come up on the good and the bad. Let's the rainfall on the just and the unjust. And yes, we know that there's times where God withheld blessings because people turned from him. But he still allows those things. We are to be the same. For a text this morning... I'll turn to a portion of scripture that I know all of us have heard, whether we even realized it was in the Bible or not, because it is something that we say probably every Sunday. It is found in the sixth chapter of Numbers. I'll read, starting at the 22nd verse, and I'll read through the 27th, the end of the chapter. Reading in Jesus' name. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and unto his sons, saying, On this wise ye shall bless the children of Israel, saying unto them, The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. And they shall put my name upon the children of Israel, and I will bless them. Amen. As I said, we've probably say this blessing virtually every Sunday at least when we're closing the service. And I think rightfully so. It is something that, as we read in the first verse that I read there, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, This isn't something that people have come up with and thinks, well, this is something that sounds good and and is is good for us. It it makes me think to the other, I say, prayer that we pray so often, which is the Lord's Prayer. And it isn't something that the apostles came up with. They asked Christ, teach us to pray and And he gave that prayer to them at that time. This is called the Aaronic blessing because it was given that the priesthood would bless the people with this. And so often with many of those these things, and it is one of the problems that I sometimes have with we call liturgy and lots of services have a fair bit of it and if you listen to it it is something that has been written down and and it is part of the order of service or whatever it is it is what we would call what we do when we do communion or even oftentimes it is just the form that we use say at a, a funeral or even a wedding and we hear the words And if we look at them and consciously think about them, they are very good. They are words that point us to God and would direct our thoughts to matters of salvation and the importance of these things. And yet, with them and even with this blessing and with the Lord's Prayer, so often it becomes because we are so human, it becomes something that we say and we just repeat it. We repeat the Lord's Prayer at the beginning of service. We say the, hear the blessing at the end. 
And I would hope, and I'm sure that all of us at times, the Spirit will touch us that it will have, I say, extra meaning or depth certain times. And I can't say that we're <coughs> excuse me, anything more than human, that we oftentimes, I'm sure, just repeat those things. But I would hope that we could quite often take the time to, when we say the Lord's Prayer, whether it be here in church or whether it would be at home, I don't know if anybody is different than me, but I have been found at times in my life that I, I'm at a place where I say life seems so overwhelming I don't even know what to pray. And we have that Lord's Prayer. And I know it. And I can say it. And I can trust that the Spirit knows. Jesus said, when you pray, pray this. And we would desire to invoke God's blessing. And we read the other night, I don't know if I can turn to it. I think I can. Hopefully everyone who's in Bible study will bear with me for being so repetitious, but... This happened to be the verse on the calendar and we looked at it and then worked out from there. But it says, the eyes of the Lord are over... This is First Peter 3.12. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. It says, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And so we know as Christians that whether... What we pray, God hears. And it tells us in the 8th chapter of Romans that the, when the Spirit is there, that gives groanings that we can't even utter when we don't know even what it is that we should pray. It knows from God what we should pray. And it is a blessing that we have and it is almost hard to understand how it is we think we know ourselves quite well at times. But the Bible tells us, and even there it tells us, would, or would illustrate to us, that God knows us even better than we know ourselves. And if we think about that, it could almost be scary, because when we look into the depths of what we are, some, oftentimes we don't find something that's very encouraging or great. And I mentioned the other night when we read that verse even how it is that we will pray something and God as Christians we can know and trust that he hears our prayers. But oftentimes in his wisdom and in his timing we, he may answer no to something. And that's the thing that I don't want to, and what the word is, admit or acknowledge in my humanness that no is a valid answer when we ask for something. We should know that if we've been parents or even if we're not, if we've dealt with children, they will ask for things that we have to answer no. And if we don't, it is very detrimental to them as much as they may want it. And so we see in our experience and wisdom of being older and hopefully wiser than those little ones, that there are times when no is what the answer has to be. And then if we compare that intelligence or knowledge or wisdom gap between us and a little child and between us and God, the one between us and God is infinitely more, so that is almost not comparable. And so we can understand that Yes, God knows best. And he can answer no for our benefits. And we would hope he would for our benefits. And he also answers later or 
something like that. Or be patient. And we, in our humanness, as I said, (coughs) we want things now. We want good things to have happened already yesterday. Or at least I do. And so, when our prayers aren't answered in the manner that we would think, my reasoning and the devil can come very quickly and say, well, look at yourself. If I say he could hold up a mirror in front of us to to look at and say, you're not very righteous. Is it any wonder? God doesn't even hear your prayers. It says that he... His face is against those that do evil. He doesn't hear their prayers. And if that comes to us, I pray that that Spirit of God would come also and bring that understanding and experience and and, and things like this that we would be encouraged to look into the Word of God so we have a foundation to stand on that even as Christ answered those three temptations in the wilderness, he didn't say, well, I think this. He says, the word of God says. And when the devil would come with those thoughts, we could answer, the word of God says that my righteousness is not of my doing. My righteousness that I am standing on is what Christ has done. It is Christ's righteousness because the word of God promises that it can be mine. That Christ's righteousness and perfection and holiness, if I believe in him and trust in him, is mine. And so, in that knowledge and understanding, I can be sure that he hears my prayers. And if he hears my prayers, then he will answer. He will answer with a perfect answer. And at times, it is amazing how quickly he will answer. And at times, to this human being that I am, it can be frustrating how long he takes to answer or bring the result that I am praying for or just simply says no that is not what is best for you and I think it is at those times that we would hope that we would have faith to trust that that is true And not decide that, well, I actually, God maybe doesn't quite know the fullness of this situation and I think I better do something about it to get what here really needs to be done. As I said already, God not only knows us better than we know ourselves, but he knows each and every situation better than we could ever hope to. So we have these, this is a blessing (coughs) here that God has given to Moses. And he says, this is how you should bless the people. He says to tell Aaron and unto his sons. We, as Christians, we are considered priests of God. We are not part of this Aaronic or Levitical priesthood that it is speaking to here. But I think by right of being the child of, being the children of God, and we are put in that position to be priests of God, it is good and right that we would bless people with these words. And we know that there is power in words. Yes, we as, as human beings, we, we don't have, if I say, the power that God has in saying something, like we read at the beginning of Genesis, oh, the beginning of Genesis, 
And he says, let there be light, and there was light, and, and so on. <clears throat> and I had someone tell me one time, and, and I couldn't disagree with it. They said it is part of what mankind is trying to do in the world with many of these things, this stuff where people are identifying and you just say you're something else, whether it be a different gender or a different species or whatever, and that's what you are. And we understand how ridiculous that is. But this person was saying, well, it's part of people trying to be on the level of God. They're just saying that this is how it is and that's what happens. And whether consciously or unconsciously, I believe there's some truth to that. Right from the beginning, the devil brought that temptation that, well... God's just trying to keep you down. And if you do this, you'll be like him. And I don't think that that temptation left with Eve. It's still there. And the amazing thing about it is, is how close to the truth the devil can come with these things. Because we read it. And even the Pharisees said to Christ that who but God can forgive sins? Are you putting yourself on the level of God? And we recognize that when he was talking to Christ, Christ was. He was God. And yet Jesus didn't say that, yeah, well, I'm God. He takes them to the word of God again, to the Psalms where it says, ye are gods. And he says, well, if that's what the word says, that's what it has to be. And they had to acknowledge that it was so. And so, when we have that Spirit of God dwelling in us, and we are His children, we are heirs with Christ, we are. But it doesn't mean that we have that power. But there is still power in what we say. And anybody who has listened to someone say something bad about them and has hurt their feelings, understand that there's power there. It causes us to feel things at the very least. And so to say, to have, if I say, the privilege of having God coming and saying, when you're blessing someone, bless them with these, these words. Not only do we see that he loves us and he would desire that we would be blessed and be blessed according to his will, but he cares about mankind and he wants us to be blessed. <clears throat> Says the Lord bless thee and keep thee. We at times say to someone, or I've heard this say, said that someone comes and helps somebody with whatever it happens to be, a situation that you're dealing with, something perhaps as simple as a flat tire or helping to put a cow in or something, and someone will say, well, you've been a real blessing to me today. And it is true. And we can do things that, if I say bless people, let and help people, whether it be naturally or emotionally or even spiritually. And it is good and right that we would do that. The Word encourages us to. <clears throat> and yes, I believe that there is often times that God uses His children here and not just His children. There's people who perhaps don't believe at all at they still do things that are a blessing to us. God's ability to use someone to accomplish his will doesn't end with his children. And if we think that, we're very much putting boundaries on God that should not be there. But what better thing to wish upon anybody then that God himself, our Lord and Savior, 
would be what blesses us, or what blesses them. We, we at our very best, are extremely limited in our ability to help and care for somebody. God's ability is infinite. So if we are asking that he would, in his wisdom, bless those people, or bless that person, there is not much better thing that we can do for them. We talk to someone, we visit with someone, we hear of something they're struggling with, and oftentimes um, in situations, I don't know what would be the best answer. I have nothing really that I can do. And I have said many times, and I still catch myself saying, and, and it annoys me when I catch myself doing it, I'll say, well, nothing else I can pray. And what a ridiculous statement in reality. It is, first of all, the first thing that we should do. And when we know, recognize that we're praying to Almighty God, it, it is the most powerful thing we can do. And even if he motivates us to do something small to help them, it is of his moving and of his doing. And even if we know something good to be helpful, it is comes of him. And I would hope that we know that. And even if we do, or even if I do, say something like that, well, at least I can, or at the very least, there's something I can pray. Let us recognize that no, the very best thing we can do is pray for someone. Or bless them, even, even with these words that are given here. I believe there's a portion in Hebrews where it talks about blessing. And it, and it speaks about God blessing Abraham. And it's, this is the sixth chapter of Hebrews, and I'll read a few verses. Where should I start here? It says, For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he sware by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men barely swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, he confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation, who had fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. So there we see, and we know it. If someone swears by something, it is something more powerful to give assurance that what we're saying is so. And we are actually encouraged. Christ says, don't swear by things. Just say exactly how it is. Don't try to add emphasis to what you're saying. Just be honest and truthful and say this. And it is a good thing to do. God he made a promise to Abraham. And it says because he could swear by no other, he just swore by himself. And there is no greater promise than that God would say. And we see there even similar to what I was talking about, about praying for something and God saying, be patient or not yet. Here God came and made a promise to Abraham, that he would bless him with a son, and that through that son would come not only lineage for Abraham, but his salvation. Through that son would come Abraham's salvation, which we understand he is speaking of Christ. And if we read that story of Abraham, God 
gives this promise and years pass and nothing's happened, and we see human nature kick in and Abraham and Sarah come up with the idea, well, maybe, maybe we have to do something to help this along. And so Sarah brings Hagar, which is her maid, into the picture. And she, they, Abraham and her have a child, which is Ishmael. They were able to accomplish, if I say it, what God had said to what they did. And many times we have the ability to, in some form, accomplish what it is on our own, what God is, we're asking of God. <clears throat> and I was speaking to someone the other day about something like this, and they made a statement, and I had never thought about it in those terms, but it struck me. And they said, when we are looking at things, let's be careful that we're not trying to turn stones into bread. And we remember that temptation of Christ, and, and it is an amazing thing because Christ has been fasting for 40 days in the wilderness, and the devil comes, and he says, if you're really the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. And even in that statement, we see that he is acknowledging that Christ is the Son of God because if he come to me and said, if you're hungry, just turn these rocks into bread, it's not really that much of a temptation because I don't have that ability. But Christ did. The devil knew he did. But in our lives, we have the ability to turn things that really are just stones into what we're looking for, which is bread to eat. And I hope you understand what I'm saying. It's things that aren't really good for what the purpose that we're trying to accomplish, but we have abilities to make them work there. Just like Abraham and Sarah and Hagar had the ability to produce the son for Abraham. And God says, no, no, that's not the one... You'll have a, Sarah will have a son, and that's the son that I've promised, and that's the son I've promised. And years go by, and then it happens. And we know the rest of the story, if I say. We go up Abraham and Jacob, and we can follow the lineage right down till Christ is born. But then this is a bit of a side note, but we also see, right down to this time, the results of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar trying to accomplish, if I say turn stones into bread, what God said he would do. We can go to the Middle East and we see the conflict that is still going on between the Arabs and Israelis, which is the children of Ishmael and the children of Isaac. When we try to do on our own, what God has said he will do, there can be dire, long-lasting consequences. <clears throat> and so we see here that God, he promises to bless, and he will. And we can trust in that, because he is, well here even it says, <clears throat> Towards the end of what I read, there's wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation. So what it's saying is that God said that he, and, it, and this comes from a portion in Jeremiah where God gives a promise and he says, that's how it's going to be. As long as the sun and moon are in the sky. And when that changes, then things might change. And we know, anybody who was up later last night saw the bright moon come up. And this morning, the sun comes up. So that promise that God has made is still in effect. So it is something that we can 
I don't think we can do better for someone than that we would ask that God would bless them. Says the Lord, bless thee and keep thee. I'm sure all of us have friends or family that perhaps don't live right where we do. They live, have friends who live completely almost on the other side of the world or the other side of the country or even just down the road. And things happen in their life and maybe if they live just down the road we have the ability if it's something that we could go and help them with it. But if it's on the other side of the country we don't. And sometimes it would be nice to But we as Christians understand that we can ask God that he would care for them. We can ask God that he would keep them safe. That he would keep them from troubles. That he would keep them from evil. This is what it's asking here. That the Lord would keep them. That God in his abilities, and we read in places... Probably Job is the most blatant one that we can see. Where God says to the devil, have you considered my servant Job? And Job says, well, yeah, but you have such a hedge of protection around him that no one can do anything to him. God's ability to protect is no less today than it was in the days of Job. And we can ask God. It doesn't matter whether it's someone who's sitting beside us or someone who's clean on the other side of the world. We can ask that God would keep and protect and care for them and build that hedge of protection that those natural evils and even spiritual ones would not be allowed to touch them. And as Christians... I don't think we really see or understand the fullness of that hedge of protection that God has around us. Because we still have troubles. It's part of life. But I think there's many things. And and I'll... um, Oh, goodness. My cousin Stuart's wife, she comes from Morocco. And when she first came here and came to believe in Christ... <clears throat> she made the statement that we over here don't understand the blessings we have against evil spirits because we've been a God-fearing nation. And she could see it because she had come from where it wasn't there. It is a blessing we have. Let us be thankful for those things and take the time to thank God for those things. And yes, it is troubling as we see our nation turning away more and more from God or turned away from God, depending on how you look at it. To think of the trouble that that could bring us. But we as Christians can trust that God knows where we're at. It doesn't matter if we're in a completely godless nation. He knows. It says, the Lord make his face to shine upon thee. It says, the next verse says, lift up his countenance upon thee. And we're wishing that God would look with favor and be looking to care for these people. That he would do it in love. We see someone, and there's that statement that they shone. If someone is happy and they look healthy and things are are good, it it can put a look on them that we see. They don't look downcast and and haggard and that. And so we're asking that God, in his joy and in his love, would look on these people, on us, and direct us and guide us and care for us. And be gracious unto thee. As I said earlier, 
we look and we see what we are. We see how failing we are and how lacking of any deserving of God's favor, lacking of any deserving of what he has done for us through Christ. We know that it was a free gift, that salvation, as far as our having to pay for it. Why does God do that? Because he is gracious. He, he, he loves mankind and he is merciful to us and he has provided Christ because he is gracious. And all he is asking is that we would believe in what Christ has done, that the sin that we are and the sins that we fall into, we would repent of them and turn to him and that we would seek forgiveness and that as priests of God, if someone is struggling with the weight of sin, we could in, say with all assurance and confidence that they can believe those things forgiven in the name and blood of Christ, not because we can say it, but because Christ accomplished it, and we can proclaim that. <clears throat> and all that is because God is gracious to us. And long-suffering. And to ask that God would be gracious unto us and unto others. It is good and right. And what we would desire that people <clears throat> would experience it and see it and recognize it and be thankful for it. Because that is what God would desire. That people would be thankful for the grace that he has bestowed upon them. <clears throat> Said the Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. And I think that in some ways some of these they're, they're kind of in a way split but I think this ties very much together when God's countenance, it is that he's looking at us and his face is turned towards you. And when, when God, we know he is all seen. We know that he demands complete righteousness and perfection. And we know as people that if God sees, if I say sees us right through, sees into the very depths of our heart, And we recognize that he's looking for perfection, he's looking for righteousness, he's looking that there would be no sin there. <clears throat> if we're standing before that, if I say and recognize that he's looking in that, that doesn't bring much peace to our natural being because we recognize we fail. But here it's saying that God would lift up his counts upon thee and give thee peace. That we could have peace even in knowing that God sees us. And there is only one way that that can be accomplished. And we speak of that peace of a good conscience that passeth understanding. It isn't that we would have natural peace in the world, and yes, that would be a nice thing we would desire. But, how much more important that we would be in that place of faith to know that the sin that we are, that God sees the righteousness of Christ, and that is what he sees. That we are at peace with him. That our heart is free from the weight of sin that so quickly would weigh us down. And what a wonderful blessing to desire for people that they would if I say know and understand and believe that fullness of the gospel message that Christ has died for them and that sin that they are it is forgiven 
And they are right before God because of Christ. And that we could encourage them that God could look on them and that there would be peace in that knowing that despite of this sinful flesh, God sees me as perfect and holy and righteous and as his child. And as that and knowing that, we can look into his word and see great and wonderful promises for the children of God. That he will care for us, that he will protect us, that he will give us of his spirit. And that we don't have to fear judgment day. That we will go from this world to life with God. Where there will be no tears and no sorrow. That God, it says God will wipe them away. It's something that I think we struggle to really understand and maybe even to believe. Because we live in such a sinful, fallen world. And there's struggles and there's trials and there's sorrow everywhere. Even on the best day, we don't have to look very far and we see problems. But those things are temporal and temporary. And especially for the child of God, we can know that and understand that. And know that when they are at their worst here, God still cares and he will carry us. It says, and they shall put my name upon the children of Israel and I will bless them. Even that is a promise. God says, if you bless them in my name, I will bless them. And may we remember that when we hear this blessing proclaimed or when we say it. And it is why we say we say this blessing and then we say in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. It is because we would want people to understand that this is a blessing of God. And this is who God is. He's that triune God of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And he is all those things. And it is his desire to bless you. Individually and me individually. And us as his children, as a group. I would pray that we could hear these words and that we could trust them. And if there comes a situation where someone is struggling, that we would be given the courage and understanding that we can bless them even with these words. And that as it promises in Romans there, the righteous, God hears their prayer. And we are righteous through Christ. We are perfect and holy and righteous amazingly through Christ. And so there is power in our proclaiming these blessings on others. May God give us that faith. Today and every day that he gives us to walk in this life. In Jesus' name, Amen. Shall we humble our hearts and receive that blessing? May the Lord bless thee and keep thee. May the Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. I won't be here at the end of this week and next Sunday, so... We'll just bump the communion off one Sunday because next week would be normally communion. And is there anyone who's able to have Bible study on Thursday evening? So Bible study will be at George and Best at 7.30 Thursday evening. Should we close with 5.58?